Well, we wouldn't get very far here, would we? Without women. To actually wear what we make, I mean, we're not degrading them anyway. It creates unrealistic standards that real women can't live up to. Oh, come on, you know we use all types of models, all shapes and sizes. Yeah, well, I don't agree with it. <laughs> well, your Rosie makes good money modelling, don't she? Yeah, well, that's not the point. Mm, you peed on your cornflakes this morning. I did. Well, I didn't actually. Tim, I'm working. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 215 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catch-Up podcast that doesn't think anyone could have guessed that the main talking point of an episode that had a heist plot in it would have been a middle-aged woman and a pink lobster pashmina over leopard print. I'm Gavin. And I am sorry, Pete Davidson. I know you like MILFs, but I am strictly a one-woman man. <laughs> Wait, I'm not one a one-woman man. man. Is there something <laughs> you're not telling me? Because I don't think this is the real the platform to reveal anything like that. And I would have thought I would have noticed. <laughs> What way to have hoped that you would have noticed? Join us next week. <laughs> I'm powering through a migraine, so that came out wrong. That's what she said. <laughs> or he said. Anyway, how are you? Anyway. Uh, well, I have a migraine. Good. Good start. High pollen count today. Just killing my brain. So I was up early and I came to bed late because I'm powering through the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I'm surprised I didn't start watching before now but whatever and yeah because I'm, I'm 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 getting very low on my filmography stuff it's becoming harder and harder to find things even without the whole hbo max debacle which we will not get into here so it's been it's been a week i've been uh really busy with stelly because she had band camp this week and every day at band camp there's like a theme a, a competition and to a theme, so there was a, a decades day, and they had picked the '60s. So I was able to dress her up like a hippie. And yesterday was Pirate Day, so she stole your ghillie shirt, and put on a bandana, and a belt. If I'm being entirely honest with you, uh-huh. when I asked you how you were, I was expecting you to talk about your birthday. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that happened too. But it was so long ago when so much has happened since then. Because it was better than migraines and pollen counts. I'm not going to lie. It's, it was better than that. We went to Canada. We went to Point Pele National Park in Canada. We walked all the way down to the point, the southernmost point in continental Canada. Have you been there, Canadians? Have you? Because we have. We have. Stella got to go to Canada for the first time ever. Yeah, a little bit of fun and... And that how we, we got her in because she doesn't have a passport, so we got her in through our, our birth certificate. Right. And then we were coming back the next day because she had the band thing, so we only really spent twenty four hours in Canada. Mm-hmm. Probably a little bit less than that actually. Which was fine. I handed over my uh, my passport card. It's kind of uh-huh. like a credit card sized mm-hmm. ID thing. You have your actual passport. physical passport. And a folded up piece of paper that we thought was our birth certificate. <laughs> and, was and the immigration guy says, "What's this?" But you mm. said it's our birth certificate. And so mm. he just handed everything back and said, go on your way. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until we were a few miles into his, 
into the US that you noticed that it wasn't a birth certificate at all. No. It was a receipt from a From my oral visit. surgeon. From So it wasn't even hers. No, it was from Dr. Charcoot. So it might as well have been a receipt for an oil change then. <laughs> yes. That's what you if need you to get into the US. my mouth an engine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does, it does help provide energy to my body. Much the way an engine does yeah, for a car. Not so. much of a way of identifying no. who the person was in the backseat of our car. No. Oh, well. No. Considering we've smuggled our dog into Canada a couple of times. And, and we got the haggis out. And, and smuggled <laughs> haggis out of Canada <laughs> a couple of times. Well, the chances on the random uh, town that we stop in, Essex, I think it was. Yes, we stopped in Essex and they had a blimey's. <laughs> There's a blimey's.ca, which yeah. is like a, if you haven't figured it out, a British grocer. and, and In Canada. Haberdasher, I'm going to say. And uh, I didn't see very many hats there. Tons. Were there, ha- were there hats? There was plenty of hats. Surprised Deli didn't want a hat. And there was, she did. And there was <laughs> such a good selection of food stuff. So we got stocked up. Yes. Yeah, I have been very bad this week as far as, as, far as my diabetes is concerned. And I'm lucky I haven't died. Well, well let's power through this then <laughs> one more time before you do, shall we? Yes, please. Shall we preamble, my dear? How was your week? Oh, too late. <laughs> Shall we you preamb- had a delightful time in Canada. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that corny news. Did I miss an adjective? Some of that blimey corny news. No, okay, there we go. <laughs> Rumor has it, Millie Gibson is also leaving the show. And while I totally get it and wish her well with a minimum of traumatic roles in her future, <laughs> I'm a little tired of all of my favourite people leaving the show. Well... The way that the show's kind of placed at the moment, and we'll talk about this in some detail, I think, in the coming hour or so. Yes. It doesn't look good for Ryan no. at the minute. No. It doesn't really look that great for Debbie neither at no. the minute. It doesn't look great for Homeless Stew at the minute. No. And now Jenny might be moving to Canada, speaking of Canada, <laughs> with, with, with lovely Leo. Now, is this source for, for Millie Gibson the same source about Charlie? Because I don't think she said anything about it. No, it's just like with Charlie, where the show has not officially come out and said that she's leaving. But everywhere, but everywhere else is confirming that she's leaving. Mm-hmm. So it feels like a done deal. Sucks for Coronation Street. A Sucks real talent. A real young for Coronation talent. Coronation Street. But maybe if you, maybe if the show had stopped. Oh, I don't know. Throwing her into dungeons and having her assaulted and getting her high on drugs and killing her parents. Constantly. Did she kill her parents? No, the show killed her parents. Oh, the show did, right? Yes. I don't know. As an actor, are you, maybe you're quite happy about that because it means that you're on screen. Well, yeah, but I think there comes a point. And there was, there was a really good article out about um, how playing a character that's just constantly being put in trauma. Claire Lindsay in the Metro. Yes. An excellent article. It was a good article. Um, you know, there there comes a point where it starts affecting you negatively, and we've seen we've even seen actors in movies be affected in this way, where you know they're playing a character who's very dark or, or goes through extreme traumatic experiences, and it can trigger something in their memory and and cause them mental distress so and i mean 
I guess it's part of the job, but you would think, especially in a show like this, that you'd they'd throw her a, bo- a bone a little bit more frequently. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. S- sucks. Sucks but, for but, us. But well done, Millie. Yes. Moving on to bigger and better things. Absolutely. At least we now get Jodie Pranger, who <laughs> debuted this week as Glenda, wow. the sister of The Undertaker. Wow. The Undertaker's sister. And what a debut. What a debut. You will be hearing us rant, raving, not ranting, but raving about it later. Jodie, pre-pandemic, played Helen in the National Theatre's production of A Taste of Honey. So, of course, I love her. Because you played somebody who has your name. Yes. And finally, two familiar faces from the cobbles will compete. Two will compete in Strictly this season. Oh, really? Yeah. Two two faces that are not currently on the cobbles, but they both were on the cobbles. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> we will see Will Malore and... Mellor. And Kim Marsh. Join the show. Yeah, I really should do that better because I've, I've spent most of yesterday explaining to Americans that it's pronounced Constantine, not Constantine, but for a completely different show. Anyway, uh, Melor is a favorite to Mellor. win. Melor. There you go. Is a, <laughs> is a favorite to win. It's Rings my Ringsmith Smeller. <laughs> it's my accent. Meller is F because that just feels weird in my mouth. Meller. 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 British people mispronounce American names all the time. Yeah, and you correct them, so I'm returning the favor. They don't hear me, though. Anyway, Meller is a favorite. You can just say, like, Meller. There you go. You don't have to sound like a robot. (laughs) Yes, I do. Anyway. Will is a favourite to win, according to local bookies. Too early to tell who's going to win that. (laughs) Yeah. You need to see them in the first week. Right. He does, he does, I mean, he does look like he can lift someone. And I think that's a, that's a big part of it. I reckon he can do Latin fine. I'm just, I have a question mark over his ballroom. (laughs) I don't know what I mean by that. (laughs) Dear God. And that's Corey News. Quick mailbag. Chloe from Nova Scotia got in touch. I'm a bit behind with the show and the podcast. Sorry to hear that your plans for YouTube monetization fell apart. Maybe you could pick up a sponsorship from Manscaped, who I'm sure are actively sponsoring podcasts about vaginas at this point. Thank you, Chloe. Yes. And in fact, Manscaped did did approach us at one point, and Gav did not feel comfortable talking about his balls. I just don't think anybody wants to hear people talk about shaving their balls on podcasts. I, I really don't. I love it. Uh, uh, quite a few of the podcasts that I listen to, the majority of which are hosted by gay men, talk about it all the time, are sponsored by Manscaped. and. But they would talk about it even if they weren't sponsored by Manscaped. Well, yes, because I know way more about douching than I ever thought that <laughs> I ever would. But anyway, it would be sound lovely hearing someone with your beautiful dulcet accent talking about their balls well, i ju- think americans judging, would like it judging by the start of the show you could have read it out <laughs> <laughs> and now we'll podcast for coffee <laughs> thanks to canadian helen for her coffees this week thank you 
Here's some coffee money, she says, to enjoy some Tim Hortons coffee on your trip to Canada. We didn't do any Tim Hortons. We didn't. We didn't. We did have some lovely Canadian coffee, though, at a little diner where I had a chicken burger and Steli had poutine. And what did you have? I had the breakfast. Oh, you had the breakfast with the, the sausage. Yeah. Mm. Mm. This is also in Essex. This was actually across the street from, from Blimey's. The, from Blimey's That's believe. how we found Blimey's is because we parked there to go to the restaurant. And then we're like, oh, Blimey. It's a blimey's. Yep. Dumb and that's, that's, that's how that happened. <laughs> it's, I mean, you, you certainly paint a visual picture. Yes. If you want to, oh, what are you drinking? Oh, you're drinking out your palm mug. Yeah, it's one of the, my dad's ex's mugs. We've spoken about several times. From Massachusetts. I'm drinking my best fucking husband ever mug. Thank you for buying us it's our true. for yeah for buying us our coffees this week, Canadian Helen. If you want to buy us next week's coffee, you can go to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street if you think this is worth any more than the time it takes to listen to it. Yes. And now this Oh welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Emily Brontosaurus. That is, is that Hope Stuffy or is that Ruby Stuffy? It's one of the two of them. That's right. This was Hope giving away her very special toy for Alina's unborn baby. Yes, that she would later murder. I was Gavin and you have the best husband ever. After your birthday weekend away, we hung out in Manistee and bought steaks from the Mafia and saw a seagull killed by a bridge. And I think we talked about all of this last week, apart from the seagull being killed by a bridge. Yeah, I forgot all about the seagull. Crushed by that bridge. Crushed, I say. Such a lazy, lazy seagull. (laughs) Just sitting there, this, I guess, what would you call it? A swing bridge? Uh, Um... It's a drawbridge. drawbridge, yes. The drawbridge mechanism ate a seagull. Yes, because the seagull was too slow, slower than a drawbridge mechanism. Yeah, I feel like we talked about that quite a bit last week, the mafia stuff and all that. Yeah, it's good fun. This 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 time around, we just saw like three or four dead fish on the on the walk to the point. Oh, I didn't see any. I took a picture of one of them. Nice. Because I took a picture of of a dead fish last year as well. That we saw along the shore of Lake Michigan. It's it, it's becoming a common theme for my birthday to take a picture of a dead fish. I didn't even talk about the cool stuff that we got at the antique store this year. Oh, oh well. well. Oh, well. And we had that power outage. Remember that? We couldn't flush the toilet. We talked about that last week. Yes. The aftermath of Todd chicanery leaves him with few options on places to live until a friendly undertaker comes to his rescue. Craig's lacklustre report on the Bailey's incident encourages many quarters to draw a line under the incident, but James is not prepared to let it lie. As it becomes increasingly suspicious that her work and situation are not being taken seriously by the others at the Knicker Factory, that was the little time that we got uh, a bit of Izzy yeah. during the whole pandemic thing via somebody's phone, I think, wasn't it, or iPad? Right, yeah, or laptop. Addy takes relationship advice from Amy, which leads Tracy and Steve to jump to their own conclusions. Of course. Following a meeting with our witness liaison officer, Nina is inspired towards a horticultural memorial for Seb. Oh my God, that was awful. Horticultural memorial. Mm -hmm. Constantly let down by Tyrone and Alina Hope resorts to drastic measures to get his attention and her toy dinosaur back. Helena's feet get dangerously close to the biscuits. Remember Helena? Yes, she was awesome. Helena and the fish guy. And Shade Girl. 
where are you? Just bring Helena back. The corner shop is overstocked in prophylactics, and Phil lives in Speeddal. Our moment of the week was Izzy recounting her locked-in experience. Oh, Phil. And her boring moment of the week was Mary going on about flowers again. Remember Phil? I do. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Bring back Phil. He's barely gone. I know. Bring him back. He is gone, though. I know. It sucks. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that. Oh, no, we've done that. No, we did that already. Our first storyline this morning is our last storyline this morning. So our first storyline this morning is Wendy Flamin Papadopoulos Necrozier. But first, it's time for a hard debate. Uh-oh. We're starting out with this. Well, there's no real place to put it. It was one of those that doesn't believe. It's an orphaned hard debate. It doesn't belong in a story. What is your favourite Corey Ident going in and out of the commercial breaks? Is it the heated pie, the red onion, the strutting rooftop pigeon, or the taxi going round the corner? You left out. I know. I the can't lock. believe. I can't believe you left out the lock. Considering we were Considering sponsored we were by Sky for a whole some, month. Yeah, that was hilarious. We got two hundred fifty quid out of that. Yes, we did. <laughs> by me writing to Squire and saying. There's a Squire lock on your ident. My papa used to have a Squire lock. I think it's the same one. Do you want to sponsor us? And they came back and said, yeah, sure. That's and then that's that's how this works, apparently. It's a wonder we haven't tried that again with someone else. <sighs> I'm just scared in case it, it doesn't happen. And then it just blows all my, my preconceptions. You know what they the say, Broom? You miss all the balls you don't try. I don't, think, I don't think that's what they say. I think Manscaped say that, but I don't think I don't think they say that. <laughs> they say it in baseball. Maybe. I think you're looking for you miss all the shots you don't take. Right. Not balls. Right. But I mean like batting, you know. I'm sure that's what you mean. That is what I mean. So the voting was us. How did you vote? Did you vote? Well, you... first I complained that the lock wasn't there. Right. And then I voted red onion. And the voting was the taxi going round the corner, eight point five percent. You don't see that one very much anymore. No. The but, heated pie, which again is why I'm surprised you included yeah. it, not the lot. Ah, well, it didn't jump into my mind. I'm sorry. You should be. Heated pie was twelve point seven percent. I quite like that one. Red onion, twenty one point one percent. But by far the winner was that strutting rooftop pigeon with fifty seven point seven percent of the vote. Pigeons are lovely. That's quite a popular vote. That one. I don't know why. Anyway, on Monday with the Wendy Flamin' Papadopoulos Necrozier. On Monday, Jack is like a half-shut knife after a sleepless night thanks to Alfie. Kev says it goes on for yeah, two years or so. Fucking hell, says Jack. Abby looks to cheer him up by suggesting that they all head to the park later with Wendy Flamin' Crozier. Except you, Kev, you stay put. You gotta work. So Jack gets to push Alfie in his pram across the cobbles. <laughs> <laughs> Got a big smile on his face as the as as he kill as he murders the baby with you know shaken baby syndrome. The, the pram is a blur as it vibrates its way over those those cobbles. Whiplash and PTSD, I think. As Abby and Wendy walk by number one, Wendy shares a bit of a look with Ken, who's on his way out with Peter. Bitches be crazy, warns Peter. Does he? Yeah, he warns her off. He warns him off. Does he? Yeah, men and women can't be friends. Dad says Peter. Yes, played by Billy Crystal. So so Jack gets to push Alfie. No, I've just said that. On the way back, Ken officially jumps Wendy and invites her around but for... But not a, like that. And invites her for a coffee and a number one at number one. But not like that. Tracy won't be there. 
Abby is practically giddy as she encourages Wendy to go. So Wendy does go and enjoy a cup of coffee and a number one, and they compare battle scars uh, about Deirdre and Pathos, or whatever his name was, and they discuss their loneliness. Ken decides to lighten the mood by offering to microwave a lasagna for dinner. Isn't it Stavros? Or am I just throwing Greek names out of a hat? I've gone for one of the three musketeers, so (laughs) at least I haven't gone down that Greek stereotype route. No, no, he he gave a Greek man a Spanish name. And it's also, it sounds a little bit like Paphos, (gasps) which is the place in That reminds me, have you heard that James Franco is going to play Fidel Castro in a movie? It had to happen sooner or later. (laughs) They say that you play Fidel Castro twice in your career, (laughs) once on the way up. Their chat continues to go well, and they tentatively discover that they've both never remarried. She heads off, and they make arrangements to do this again. Ken, you old fucking shagger, you. Wendy heads straight back to Abby's to have a quick post-mortem. And she says, although there was no shagging, she hopes to do it again, and she hopes to come round and see uh, Abby and the kid again. Abby hopes that she does come back to visit. The kid. Even if it is just to get her fingers and tops off of Ken. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yep. So... This one time you were right about about maybe Wendy and Ken hooking up again. Yeah, I was disappointed that Wendy seemed to be in and out of the show. It seemed much like Spider. It seemed ridiculous to bring this legacy character back. I don't think we've back. seen the last of Spider. No, I don't think so either. You bring, bring a legacy character back for like two scenes and then they go away. It didn't seem to make sense. And it seemed to make sense that the only storyline she could possibly be there for would be a Ken storyline. And the only possible Ken storyline it could be would be something a little with a little romance attached to it I don't know if Ken at this stage in Coronation Street's history really is in the market for another relationship like this but Wendy seems to be quite a fun character we really liked him we quite liked him with Claudia so do you see a relationship forming between Wendy Fleming Crozier and Ken and can my voice go any higher than that (laughs) certainly feels like they're setting that up, is it? doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, with the show hemorrhaging younger people, <laughs> who, else, who else is left to have a relationship, a new relationship? I tell you, who's not going to enjoy this? Tracy. Tracy is going and to that's go gonna through be, uh, the roof. And that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. We're going to have, like, Tracy Tracy back. And that's good. I mean, after all this time, we, we keep on cutting to the little shots of the Deirdre photograph on the sideboard and and he keeps on saying what was it the line it's uh m&s fish and chips and ken and deirdre yeah the like the three constants in life or, or something along those lines right and he says it back to the picture of deirdre afterwards yeah and she's kind of smiling back because she's always smiling back because it's a picture because it's a picture to make it look like well this is something that deirdre would approve of and who knows she might she probably looking down from or up from <laughs> he's saying why the hell did he why the hell didn't he get remarried at some point mm-hmm. it's been I think it's been long enough yeah don't you moving on then our next storyline this morning is Tim's Bobby again for the ninth it, week it feels like this is the end though it feels like we've reached the end game when it comes to Tim's Bobby the end of Tim's Bobby the bell just, end of Tim's Bobby just the tip just the tip. Just the tip. We made that joke several times in front of our 13-year-old uh, daughter as we went to the the southernmost tip of Canada. Yes. Just the tip. We're just walking to the tip. Just the tip. Just the tip. She seemed oblivious. I, 
Let's hope she was. On Monday, it's casino night and Tim and Sally are getting excited. Tim telling Sally that she might be able to rip his tucks off at the end of the night. Uh-huh. Faye arranges a, a home video yoga session later with Sally because it seems to help with her symptoms of the menopause. Right. Remember, she's got that going on. Right. So later, Faye and Sally chat about the menopause as they do their little yoga stretches and things. Sally tells... Uh, Faye to not rule out the HRT, but Faye is very resistant to putting chemicals in her body, even though there are chemicals already in your body, Faye. Your body is made of chemicals. Everything around you is made of chemicals. The world is made of chemicals. Lighten up. I think I've just spotted Helen's trigger. <laughs> even, uh, but it's plant-based mostly these days, apparently. Yeah. The HRT. And Faye never really seemed to me the type of person who would be, oh, no, I want to do all natural no. and chemicals. And let's not forget Sinead, huh? who, who's, who's, whose death came quicker because she didn't want to take chemicals right. into her body, even though her body is already made of chemicals, blah, 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 blah. But if... Does now, nobody now on the remember, show remember anything? Remember the reason why she did that? She did that so that Auntie Beth would have a child to look after after she was gone. <sighs> <sighs> and I guess Faye's moodiness now seems consistent with Faye's moodiness prior Before, to all yeah. that. Now it's just she has an excuse. Because she's resistant to Sally's suggestion to the point of being rude about it, yeah. I feel. Yeah, well, that's just her character, isn't it? Tim's all dressed to the nines later. Sally's been doing some research on HRT on Tim's laptop. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and she has a look on his browser history. She discovers all those tame porn websites that Tim's been looking at. Right. And Tim makes that face. Because Tim didn't didn't switch to incognito mode on, on his laptop before he did those searches. Because she warned him that she was about to do this. She right. said, I'm about to look at your internet search history. And he right. was like, yeah, fine. Yeah. Because he doesn't even think doesn't, about it. Right. Just totally clueless. And also, maybe he just doesn't care because really, is porn that big of a deal? Well, I think it depends on the, the type of porn that he's looking at. But this was all this very all much fairly safe, right? tame, straight up and down stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's what the butler saw kind of thing. I, I'm getting the... Yeah, because it was, was like kind of the image that I'm getting from this. Because wasn't his like search something like regular sex or something? Yeah, dull sex. I think <laughs> is what he that's what he searched for. If for some reason I was using your laptop and I noticed that you had been to a porn website at some point in the recent history, mm-hmm. I would not care. For like yesterday or something. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. No, but I would not care because occasionally. I visit porn websites. Everybody does. Nobody, anyone who says they've never been to a porn website or never looked at porn on the internet and they're over the age of 11, they're lying. Shockingly. Shockingly young. They're lying. Mm. And yes, people between the ages of 11 and 15 should not be seeing that stuff because it gives them, they're, they're, Prefrontal lobes are not formed correctly yet. They're still processing life. And so they make the assumption that that is, that's what sex is really like. Mm-hmm. And we all know porn is not what sex is really like. See, I don't think that Sally would have a problem with this under normal circumstances. 
but I think given the circumstance that she finds herself in, I think she's and because he's either hiding it or not talking to her about it, I think she feels a bit let down. Still, she seems very sanctimonious about it. He says he's been testing his bobby out, and it still works. Yay! And this upsets Sally, who thinks that he needs to see nutty women having boring sex to get a stoner. She tells him to go to the casino night. She won't be coming, and she won't be going to the casino night either. Ha <laughs> ha! Zing! <laughs> That's this week's joke. I think... I, I, I kind of wish that he had been a little bit more adventurous in his explorations, because then he could say to her... I was looking for new things that we might try that might work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Educational. Right. It was an educational porn search. Does that work? <laughs> it's like saying that you have a subscription to Playboy for the articles. So at the casino night, Dev has to talk Tim down and tell him not to worry. Sally just wanted to be left alone, so leave her alone. Right. Tim finds Well done, Dev. Tim finds a muddled middle ground and gets Faye to go around to check. So Faye goes round and Sally just pretends to be tired. Faye reveals that Craig needs his space, so that's why she's wanting to leave him alone. Mm -hmm. Things have changed between them, and he sees her differently now, she thinks. And that's probably true. Trouble in paradise. Thank God. It's late when Tim gets home. He finds a note from Sally telling him to be quiet and informing him that the spare room has been made up for him. Oh, pig's tits, says Tim. On Wednesday, Tim wakes up from the couch as Sally storms out of the house without saying good morning or goodbye. Poor Tim. At the factory, Sally remains in a bad mood and it only gets worse when Carla tells her how much Tim won at the casino night. Because apparently he got pretty lucky. Did, weren't they not gambling, gambling? Oh, the, right, they weren't gambling for money. for money, but whoever had the most chips at the end of the night won a prize. Oh, okay. I think that's how they got round the, the UK's licensing laws on gambling. Mm -hmm. Faye asks Sally if there's something up between her and her dad, but sarcastically Sally says, oh no, I'm sure Tim is fine. Faye's dad. Not Sally's dad. He did. Yes. Sophia meets Tim outside Nina Rolls. You had to think about that for a second. Is he dead? Of course he's dead. And asks him what he's done to upset Sally. He says nothing, but Faye tells him to sort it pronto. Back in the factory, Sally suddenly has puritanical views of underwear, thinking that it's demeaning to women. This is where it kind of got a little bit ridiculous. Right, yeah. She's, she's Carol's just looking at their stock, basically. Right. And in fairness to Sally, the picture is of a very well-endowed woman. Oh, was it? Yeah, she had... I didn't, she had, I didn't notice. She had big boobies and the the bra she was wearing was like a nude colour. So it, it, at first glance, you might think that she was completely naked and just had had her nipples removed. Oh, yikes. Who peed on your cornflakes, asked Carla. I did, says Tim, with flowers who doesn't work at the factory. Sally tries to usher him away, but Carla gives her the day off because everyone's sick of the sight of Sally today. <laughs> Back home, Sally's upset about the casino night and Tim's porn. Tim thinks this is happening to him. It's his problem and it has nothing to do with her. Sally says she has never felt so lonely and maybe they need some time apart. Tim panics and suggests a holiday, telling her that he loves her and begging her not to give up on them. You like Spain, don't we? Let's go to Spain. Mm. In the community garden, Tim talks to Aggie. He explains his problems in the boudoir in fairly vague terms, saying it hasn't been the same since his heart operation. She thinks it's a mental block, and she challenges him to think about how he feels when he's about to get his hole, and he reveals that he thinks that he's going to die. Bingo, says Aggie, and Tim rushes home to tell Sally. You would, wouldn't you have hoped, or have at least thought, that either Dr. Gadas 
Or the sex therapist. Or Sally. Or Tim well, himself. Not necessarily Sally and Tim because they're not in the medical profession. But one of those people in the medical profession, who specific, especially the sex therapist who specifically deals with these sorts of things, would have asked this question before now. Right. One would have hoped that it wouldn't take Aggie. <laughs> in the community garden. And yet, Aggie is the new Abby. He tells her that he's had an epiphany. And the sight of her hoo-ha makes him worry that he's going to die. Now we know what it is, we can fix a problem, although I'm not sure how. He also doesn't tell her that he's been speaking with Aggie. Right, yeah, I don't understand this. Sally smiles that she's got her old Tim back, but is worried that her floof now reminds him of death. And on Friday, Tim and Sally have gotten their hole, finally. Tim is so chuffed with himself, he's wearing a pink dressing gown and brown workman's boots. The mind boggles. Ag and Tim meet in the community garden again. She has a book about death for him that she thinks will help with his neuroses. So the two of them take a seat to get some book reading done. And then back home, Tim's yeah, still reading... they're friends now. Yeah. Back home, Tim's still reading his book about death. And he lies to, uh, to Sally when she comes home, saying that he picked it up from a little free library type thing. All of this is turning Sally on good style. She is so proud of her Timbo. Yeah. I can kind of understand him lying about how he figured out the whole death thing. Why are you talking because, to her? To talk because to why, me? Yeah, why are you talking to her about this? But the book thing is weird because that, you know, it's it's okay for him to be friends with Aggie. Mm-hmm. Contrary to what Peter said. Right. Because men and women can be friends. Yes, it can. Yes. So it's, so it's ridiculous that he didn't say, oh, yeah, Aggie lent it to me, you know, because she thought it would... It would help because Aggie and I are friends now. Well, Sally knows that because they've, yeah. they've been friends since the heart thing. Right. But Sally did have a problem with him telling Aggie about his heart problems. Right. Even though she's a nurse. And in this world, there are two kinds of nurses. The ones who everybody... Dirty nurses. Huh? Dirty nurses. No. Now we all know what kind of porn gaps are just for. <laughs> No, the nurses that are constantly bombarded by questions from people about every little mole. And then the nurses who tell everyone every little thing about their medical condition unasked all the time. And then remind people constantly that they're a nurse. (coughs) Your sister. (laughs) So do you think there's going to be a relationship between Tim and Aggie? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they're setting it up. To make us think that. Right. And setting it up for Sally to think that. Right. I don't think Ed would ever think that. I don't think Aggie would even remotely consider... No. ...cheating on Ed. No. I mean, we already had that thing about how her and Ronnie hooked up, but that was before she even got together with Ed. Yeah. That would be a huge character shift. Yeah. Which... Does happen. isn't, Isn't impossible. No, let's let's just have them being friends. I think yeah. that works perfectly well. The it's two of them just fine. be friends with each other. It's fine, regardless of what Peter says. And Peter should talk because he's just talking to his friend Abby. And yes, they hooked up once, but they're not hooking up now. They're both happily married-ish, and they're still friends. So Peter needs to shut his butthole. And let's, which and let's, is his face. And let's face it: as soon as this whole, not Peter's butthole, but. <laughs> With this whole... I don't know why I said butthole. Tim's Bobby goes away. Tim's never speaking to Aggie again. Or we're never going to see it. Right. They'll still be friends. That's there to to service the plot. Right, yeah. All right, moving on. 
just a, another quick one. Summer of Love this week. On Monday, Summer, an official adult now, I think. Is she? I think she's here. She tries Has to get, she graduated? Graduated what? School. Yeah. Is she no longer in school? No. Did There was like no fanfare made of that at all. Isn't leaving school important? Not really. It's not like a big, huge graduation party and open house and all that stuff? No. You just... You just stopped going to school. You're just done? Mm-hmm. No cap and gown? Nope. I, I left school officially on a Tuesday morning, I think. Just went and said, yeah, I'm leaving. So you must find our graduation ceremonies and Stupid stuff... Stupid and pointless, yes. Very weird. Yeah. She tries to get Billy to write a note so she can get out of going to work. Fuck that, says Billy. So Summer goes to get ready, allowing Billy and Todd, because Todd's there, to talk about how miserable she seems. I'm not sure how they tell. She asked him to write her a note. Mm -hmm. So funny. (sighs) Todd might have an idea how to fix this. So he goes to the garage to have it out with Aaron, who is at least a foot taller than him. And younger. And more fit. Aaron rips the rug away from under Todd by explaining that he wants to take things slowly with Summer. Although we were led to believe last week that he'd split up from her. And he doesn't want to rush her into anything. Yeah, well, well that's so- why he split up with her. Because he wanted to take things slowly and it didn't seem like it was going slowly. Yeah, well, says Todd, you should do something about her being mopey then. So that gives Aaron some food for thought. Right, yeah, because apparently now Aaron is responsible for Summer's <laughs> yeah. well-being. Summer so- is never responsible for her own well-being. And that's why she is what she is today. Well, let's face it, she doesn't do a very good job of it. So Aaron goes to see Summer at home. He doesn't want to break up now that Todd has bullied him into it. He seems, it seems that Aaron's answer to everything is buying holidays and he's bought them another holiday, this time to Edinburgh for the festival. Summer is thrilled. She's always wanted to go to the festival. The festival? It's like... The King's Festival? 250 miles away. Sorry, I'm quoting... I'm quoting musicals at you and it's just going right Summer over your head. Summer is thrilled thinking that the festival is full of plays and physical theatre and not guys with more money than sense doing 30 minutes of unrehearsed stand-up in the storeroom of a pub for free. <laughs> they winch and they're about to get their hole on the couch when Billy comes in from his thing at the church. Nice church thing? asks Aaron and Billy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm so glad that you mentioned this because I was really confused when they, she started talking about, you know, the Edinburgh Festival. She doesn't know what it is. This classy theatre thing. I was like, this, that, that's not what I was led to believe the Edinburgh Festival is. Well, there's the, there's the International Festival. Right. And then there's a, there's the much larger Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Right. And that's what people talk about when they talk about going to Edinburgh in August for the festival. festival right. they don't, they're not talking about the International Festival. Although it kind of sounds a little bit like she is. Everyone else is talking about the Fringe Festival. Right, Fringe. And... And even the international bit, I mean, it's it's more like avant-garde theatre and weird stuff, right? It's not really yeah. Shakespeare and... No, 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 it can be. Yeah, but it's weird Shakespeare. It's fun Shakespeare. I don't know. I've never been to the regular festival. Oh, I've you've only been to the Fringe. Been to the fringe. <laughs> That's why people go. We should go sometime. Uh, yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so. All festivals are nightmares. <laughs> So Billy seems to want to sit with them for hours, but finally goes to bed. And this allows Summer to tell Aaron that she thinks that actually she'd prefer to go to Barcelona. Fucking hell, entitled or what? What the hell is wrong with her? Oh, and she wants to go to Barcelona because she thinks he'd rather go to Barcelona. And it's like, 
He's the one who bought this whole Edinburgh thing. And remember, he's cancelled Barcelona. Right. So now he has to buy it again. Where's he getting all this money for and multiple and yeah, repetitive Kev holidays? Kev is not paying him that much, let's be honest. And also, once they got to Edinburgh, they'd realize that the majority of the festival is stuff that he would enjoy. Yeah. It's not as highbrow as Summer seems to think it is. No. Nobody goes to that. And by the way, Somebody must go to that, or else they wouldn't keep doing it. Seven people go to that. A hundred thousand people go to something else. So yeah, she wants to go to Barcelona again. She wants to push herself. Aaron relents, but we'll only Into do that Aaron. if Summer speaks to someone about her body issues. And Summer agrees, but then looks like she's about to squish her insulin down the sink again. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So, same old shit, different day, yes? Yep. Although they have had a somewhat intimate moment together on the couch. Yes. And it would have gone further if Billy hadn't walked in. Yeah. Which means they should have gone to her bedroom. Yeah, you'd have thought, right? Mm. Because <laughs> these three adult gay men are constantly walking in unannounced to that apartment. Mm-hmm. So someone would, should let's, be well let's, aware. Let's, that's fine for Billy to do that. Right, because he lives there. Right. Is it okay for Paul and, and Todd? No. To alternate one week it's Paul and one week it's Todd. I posted something on Twitter this week about seeing Todd at Eileen's going, What's Todd doing at Eileen's? And then remembering that, <laughs> that he, he lives, lives there. there. He doesn't live at Billy's. No. Yeah. Stop getting the Edinburgh Fringe Festival wrong. Thank you. And this is just I mean we've we've, we've come to the end of Tim's Bobby, let's, so to speak. Let's be honest though. How often, how often do predominantly English shows get Scotland right? Well, it's just Scotland, isn't it? I'm surprised that it's not the Scotland Festival that she's going to. <laughs> Moving on to, I think, the highlight of the week. There's no place like Glenda. Ah, yes. <laughs> ah. On Monday, Sean is handling an impressive piece of pork. And I like that. It's a special meal for Dylan after the whole Frank thing. If there's one thing that kids these days love, it's a bit of roast pork. So with a bit of help from Eileen, the meal is ready just as Sean gets a text from Dylan telling him that he'll be having pizza with Max and David, who apparently he's friends with now. So they settle down to a very dry piece of pork that George manages to break a tooth on the crackling on. When Dylan finally gets home with some pizza remnants, he says saws a lot about missing the special tea, and Sean tells him that he had a lucky escape. So on Wednesday, George is still having dental issues, but he's meeting Mrs. Pugh for Mr. Pugh's funeral. The two of them were friends with his dad, so she'll be getting the VIP treatment. And this is not Mrs. Pugh from Annie. Every time, every time they mention Mrs. Pugh's name in my head, I'm thinking, when you're through, Mrs. Pugh will come to take your tray away. Whereas I'm thinking of the fireman from Trumpton or Campbellwick Green. Pugh... Drew, Barney McGrew, Cuthbert, Dibble and Grub. <laughs> now the Undertaker, a shifty man, wants to talk about uh, George's premiere service. George's I'm eyes like turn to dollar signs as he ushers the fellow in. The fellow also has oil of clothes to help with his uh, toothache. <laughs> but next we see George kicks the guy out. He's actually a rival Undertaker looking to buy out George. George tries to steal the guy's notebook and end up wrestling Greco-Roman style. On the cobbles. But as, not nude, sadly. As, as Mrs. Pugh shows up. Because that would be real Greco-Roman style yeah. if they were both naked. 
Grab him by the ears, wrestle him <laughs> to the ground. Naked. Later, Mrs. Pugh and George talk about his dad and tradition and stuff. George explains the naked Greco-Roman wrestling thing that she just witnessed was due to a rival company, Rest Easy, trying to buy him out. Mrs. Pugh had received a call from them, which doesn't make an awful lot of sense. George says his dad watches over him in every service he does and guides him, which as far as we can tell, he does a shite job of it. But this is to convince Mrs. Pugh to give George the gig. And she does. Back home, George is lying about his manliness to Eileen when an irate Todd comes in. He's been rummaging in George's bin and has seen the <laughs> offer that Rest Easy have made. 400000 for that funeral business. George throws the offer in a different bin and says, Shutterworth is not for sale. Right, yeah, because apparently this other place treats treats death like like an assembly line sort of thing and doesn't have the personal service that Shuttleworths provides. Right. The personal like, service that frequently like goes forgetting wrong. your loved one in a in a closet for over a year. Mm-hmm. Running over the wreath by making Eileen the driver. Making Steve and Tim do Formula One racing with <laughs> Hershey's through the streets of Weatherfield. Yeah. Still, this is the best storyline of the week. It is. On Friday, Todd is rushing to the Undertaker's talking to Sean about the Pew funeral that must go well. But when they get there, George is absolutely out of his tits. He is. <laughs> Hilariously. <laughs> well done, Tony Maudsley. Mm-hmm. He's just so hilarious. <laughs> oh, pig's tits, says Todd and Sean, as they save George from falling into bins. It turns out he's not drunk. He's fucked in Eileen's tramadol. Mrs. Pugh calls George's phone and Todd quickly dingies it. Todd, in between scenes, has tried other undertakers to outsource the Pugh funeral, but with no luck. Mrs. Pugh calls again and Todd answers. She wants to open the casket to put Mr. Pugh's trombone in it. And this time, she's just round the corner. Right. So Todd loads George and Sean into a hearse so that they're out of sight just as she arrives, saying that Sean has to go in because someone has to look after George or... Right, make sure he doesn't get out of the car. Right. What a waste of a trombone. Yeah. We hear a lot of trombone music in this house. Some would say, and when I say some, I say I would. Uh, Too much. (laughs) Mrs. Pugh lets rip on Todd about how she expects perfection. Todd is struggling when a brassy woman appears and takes control of the situation. This is Glenda Shuttleworth, who knows Mrs. Pugh and says all the right things, instinctively knowing the right thing to say and gently knowing why a trombone in a coffin isn't a great idea for a cremation. Yeah. Very much not a great idea. And maybe you'd get some uh, some peace by looking at the trombone in future and maybe... Passing it on. Passing it on to future generations. Right. And Mrs. like, oh, this is a fantastic idea. Right. And at this point, I love this woman. Me too. <laughs> at this point. Me too. From the very first scene. From the second she walked on screen, right. I was like, I want to be best friends with her. <laughs> right. I want to hang out with that woman right there. Uh-huh. She's my new best friend. What is it? I don't know what... Is it the confidence? I don't know. She's a really good actor, right? Yes. First and foremost. Yes. But the way that she was written there was just perfect. She's immediately engaging. She immediately... Takes over without being an asshole about it. Right. Says the right things, does the right things, comforts Sean and Todd... You know. Says the things that Todd should be saying. Right. Todd be his gift of the gab. But, right. But she's just made him out to be a complete amateur. 
Right. And in fairness to Todd, he's very flustered because his boss is stoned in the car. <laughs> right. Womp womp. So they go in so she can get ready because she's not dressed for this at all. No. And nor does she seem to know that this was going on. She just had no. happened along. Right. But she's dressed up for the funeral and totally looks the part. Absolutely. I love that hat. Oh. With the little veil. Right. Ah, oh, so perfect. Did she have that in her luggage? Was that in a storage closet somewhere at Shuttleworth just in case she showed up? Well, we learn that she's uh, been on the cruises. Right. And I don't know if you take a funeral suit with you when you go on these sort of things. I don't know. No. But it makes sense if you're going away from home for a long time that you have a suit for every occasion. I mean, it does. What she's wearing seems to be very much what she would wear to a funeral. Although right. Although she's got the cravat on and Right, stuff. which is... Which is you know part of the uniform Mm -hmm. but you know i mean who knows lots of people die on cruises so exactly you never know so she's totally the part and she's promised uh, a rendition of ave maria for free at the funeral and she ropes sean into be an extra pair of hands and he seems to be like us he's in love with her already as well and and is completely compliant and calls ave maria the first power ballad (laughs) let's get the show on the road and the funeral seems to have gone well. Sean and Todd are organising the spread in the rovers. Afterwards, Todd calls their saviour Glenda the Good Witch, which makes Todd and Sean argue about who knows the most about the Wizard of Oz. Which one is more of a friend of Dorothy than the other? And you know what? I think that maybe one of the first times I've heard the term friend of Dorothy in a television show. Mm. Podcast, yes. I've never heard it. Personal conversations... Yes, never but heard never it. on a TV show. I've just never heard it. You've never heard gay men referred to as friends of Dorothy? No. Do you know how much time I spend talking about the Wizard of Oz with gay men? Not enough, apparently. <laughs> apparently not. Then in comes a grieving homosexual who also knows lots about the Wizard of Oz. Yes, and is hot. <laughs> the three of them chat about Wizard of Oz, and it seems a grieving homosexual has an eye for Sean, which means he has a secret and was probably a murdering bully with a heart condition that's been scooshing insulin down the sink after his tooth fell out. <laughs> Because he's not into Todd at all, and Todd is no. miffed. Right. Glenda comes in and tells him off for flirting with the mourners. The busy pew is thrilled with the way the funeral went. Todd credits Glenda with saving the day, which is news to no one who was there. George comes in and he says, Am I still high? When he clocks Glenda. That was right. hilarious. That was great. They hug, and she reveals that she's here for the foreseeable after leaving the cruise ship, where she was a cabaret singer. Apparently, there was a bit of a frisson that she had with somebody else's whatever she had she was involved in a love triangle right later which i totally believe right glenda is regaling everyone with premium banter while george comes down from the tramadol it turns out somehow he's managed to get his tooth fixed in between all this going on then eileen comes in and glenda gives her a hug remarking that she smells nice just like her gran used to do eileen takes it well being described as smelling like a dead elderly woman and uh, Todd's like, isn't she fabulous? And Eileen goes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think Eileen isn't taken to Glenda no. initially anyway, quite no. as well as, as we have. Yeah. But let's talk about how fabulous Glenda is. She's so <laughs> fabulous. Well done, Coronation Street. Well oh. done. Because you've introduced a remarkably entertaining character, albeit she's been in for like half an episode or whatever. Right, and she's already my favourite. <laughs> right. This is what is possible. You can introduce wonderful characters like this with wonderful actors playing them at ease. Right. Having fun. 
this looked like it was easy to do, and I'm, right. and I'm sure it wasn't. But the fact that it looked easy to do, I think, goes uh, to why she's so easy to engage with and she's right. so, so easy to, to like. Her and George together. Fabulous. If, if that's the future of Coronation Street yes, for the please. foreseeable, yeah, I'm, I'm all about that. Yeah, I'm all about the Shuttleworth. Give me more. Yep. Because we already love The Undertaker. Yeah, and again, there was a character that they introduced really, really well. Yeah. Because he was great from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. As well. Yeah. He just looked like a th- uh, an Undertaker. I was going to say a Thundertaker. Ooh. <laughs> One wonders what that would be. Probably dirty. <laughs> yes. He was introduced perfectly well, brilliantly. Yes. Again, played by a really good actor. Absolutely. With so much scope. Talent. Charisma. Funny. Right. Can be serious. Apparently can do drunk. Right. Right. Or stoned. Or stoned. High. Trammed out of his tits. Right. And really good at physical comedy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I genuinely believe that you can tell when you're watching a television show or a movie that the actors are having fun and really enjoy working with one another. Now, sometimes that's not a great sign because I've seen plenty of Adam Sandler movies where he's there with his pals and they look like they're having a blast and it is the worst movie I've ever seen in well, my yeah, life. Fair, right? fair. And there have been Adam Sandler movies where that has happened and they've been good, like Hustle. That's just a for instance, right? Right, yeah. I don't want to focus or so, spend too much yeah, time on Yeah, we're not going to spend Sandler. too much time on Adam Sandler because um, we'll be here all day. But I, I think that for the most part, if it's done in a way where it's not, I'm just going to get all my friends together and we're going to go to Hawaii and shoot a movie. Mm. And the reason why we're going is not to shoot the movie, but it's to have fun with my friends. Yeah, not talking about Adam Sandler, though. <laughs> I think it makes things better and it, it, it puts you at ease to see them at ease. And it, it makes the acting seem more natural, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's why certain certain directors will use some of the same actors over and over again because they have a rapport and they understand one another and they work really well together and that comes across on screen. You know, uh, Jordan Peele and Daniel Kaluuya for, mm. ex- for a more recent example of that sort of thing. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Mm. I'm sure this happens in non-horror movies as well, but anyway... Um, yeah, because he gets an, an amazing amount out of Bruce Campbell, who, let's face it, can't really act. Oh, well, shut he can't, up. He can't, he can't, but you wouldn't know it by watching his movies, really. And he's fun to look at. Yeah. He was he was great in Burn Notice. Mm. Anyway, enough about Bruce Campbell, because we'd be here all day. So to see a scene like this where everybody is just top-notch, and seem at ease because we've seen scenes with Todd and Sean where they have not been at ease, where it feels where it feels very awkward. Mm-hmm. And and you don't get that here. Everybody is lovely to one another. Everybody is working well to handle this crisis in a way that's effective but also comedic. Everybody is at the top of their game in a scene like this. I just, including Sean. Well, I was I was about to say this. The, the, this setup of the Undertaker being bad at his job has been done enough times already because as, as soon as it looked like that's what was going on, I'm, I'm tweeting, right. when was the last time he was actually good at, at, 
organizing a funeral. Well, we probably will never see that because that's not funny. Right. I'm sure but, he is the majority get, of the time. It's just the we get to see them. Where it's not funny when, it, when they continually fail. And this one is failing, but it's rescued. And it's rescued by, by her. And it, it is funny, but it's not trying to be overly funny. And it's not trying to be farcical. She takes control of the situation and... And then we have this strange Wizard of Oz conversation that doesn't really seem to fit or wouldn't have fit if it hadn't been for Glenda setting the mood for this entire mm-hmm. thread of the storyline. And having a name similar to Glinda. George has done wonders for Todd mm-hmm. and for Todd's character Absolutely. S- since he came in. Todd we, is a different character. We say it all the time. Right. Todd is better with The Undertaker than he is with Billy. Yeah, I love Todd's scenes that Billy isn't in. Right, or Summer. Right. Glenda, so far, has made me tolerate a Sean scene, or a, or a number of Sean scenes. Mm-hmm. Sean, this week, has been the best I've seen Sean, and I don't know how long. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like going back to the, the homeless stuff. Right. And beyond that. Right. It's like, oh, see when he was blessing himself and talking about his, his Catholic upbringing right. and stuff. I thought that was great. Yeah. And I thought he was great in it. Yes. <laughs> I, th- I thought that Anthony Cotton's getting something a little... Uh, dirt. He's, he now has the foil in the shape of Glenda that, that Todd had with The Undertaker, right. it seems. So th- it, there's this, I don't know, lightning in a jar here with the, mm-hmm. the two shuttleworths together just being... Just bringing the best out of everyone that they're working with. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for this. Absolutely. This, this is wonderful. I, I, I I'd don't watch want the spin-off her, show. I don't want her to have a secret. I don't want her to be up to any shady stuff. No. And having phone calls with people that we don't know who it is at the end of episodes. No. Let's just let's just keep this going and let's not question it too much. And no. And just let, let it happen organically because right. that seems to be how it's it's worked so far. And we've loved it. And yeah, th- this, was, this was wonderful. So good. So good. The homosexual... Wizard of Oz fan, uh-huh. and I'm seeing lots of questions about whether he's a new love interest for Sean or for Todd. Yeah, he was absolutely not interested in Todd at all. So why is Sean getting another love interest right off the back of Frank the Wank? Why not? I just I'm just still worried or still confused about what what the point of Frank was. What has changed? What has changed from his? Well, I think Frank was more. For the Undertaker than for Sean, I think Sean was the conduit to get the Undertaker back with someone from his past, so that we learn something about the past of the Undertaker. That he'd been bullied. Yeah. Because we'd learned nothing more. No. And the Undertaker learned nothing more about himself, really, did he? Well, he learned that that still affected him, that that was still a part, a core memory for him, and that maybe, maybe it shouldn't be because he's an adult male now. Mm, maybe. I don't think we ever got really any closure from it, but we did get the undertaker at one point say sympathetic things about Frank that, you know, it it must be tough to meet. So it seemed like he had come to a point where he could accept Frank and, and see Frank as a human being and not just a bully. So I don't know. Um, But yeah, even, even that I loved because, you know, Glenda and Glenda comes over and she's like, so how did it go? Did you get his number and all that other stuff? Because now Glenda's from the Bronx. But um, 
You garbage. Don't ever do that again. Come over here, kid. Come over here, kid. <laughs> and the fact that he... The garbage. It was funny because, you know, the same thing happened with Frank, where Frank left without getting... Without Sean giving him his number. And that happened again this time where Sean's like, oh, no, I was being professional. And they both look at him like, what? Right. And then he runs off after the guy. We don't get to see what happens mm-hmm. if he catches up with him or not. Presumably he did. Yeah, we're hoping he did. Because that guy was easy on the eyes. So I wouldn't mind having him around a little bit longer. Yeah. And I think his introduction is going to get kind of glossed over a little bit because of the impact that, that Glenda had. But he was Which pretty, is fine. But he was pretty good as well. Yeah. Everybody in those scenes was great. Because when he started to join in and and talking about his Wizard of Oz trivia, right. I kind of was like the three of them had, had known each other for, for quite some time. Right. Yeah, I liked, yeah. It. I liked that a lot. That was yeah. great stuff. Yeah. Um. And you know what? I like that Eileen is not 100% taken with Glenda. I well, don't mind that. Somebody, ha- somebody has to be right. against it, right? And of, course it has no to be, and of course it has to be the other woman, but... Right. There are aspects of Glenda that remind me of Mary. And we know that it took Eileen a while to get mm-hmm. used to Mary. Just the exuberance right. and the talkativeness and everything. Because that's not Eileen. Yeah, and she didn't say that granny thing to be nasty. No. In fact, it was it was the opposite. No, it was a compliment. Mm-hmm. Just really badly worded. Right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, let's move on then. Oh, I guess. To Homeless Daughterless Stew. Oi, 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 oi. On Wednesday, Speed Dial, Yasmin has been speaking to the Gazette and they want to do a feature on food waste and they want to speak to everyone at Speed Dial and take a team photo. Homeless Shoe tries to weasel out of it, but Yasmin is having none of it. You're in. So the journalist loves the idea. I think, is it? I don't think this one's Suki, is it? The one on Friday's Suki. I don't anyway, remember. she loves the idea that they've had and she sees another angle when she spots that Yasmin and Homeless Shoe are an item. Right. And at first, Dev tries to take credit for the whole thing, that Dev, it was his idea. Dev's been trying to do this and, since it was first mentioned. And the balls on that man. <laughs> right. The absolute kiwi-shaped balls mm-hmm. on that man to say, to say in, or, in the room with the other people who called upon him and said, we have this idea, to mm-hmm. say, oh yeah, it was all my idea. Right. Yeah, I'm the head of this. Yeah. Good old Dave. <laughs> So Homeless Shoe talks him through the idea how Yasmin helped him when he was down and out and he's paying it forward and the journalist thinks this is a fabulous, inspirational story. On Friday, it's launch day for the food thing at Speeddal. They've built a website in a day to operate the new system and now they're all trying to get the word out. I don't think it was a day because they started this last week. two days then. And it was Addy who did it and he's a genius and I will not hear a word against him. Nina grabs some flyers, no one does anything else. Then Dev arrives and is pissed off about the article in the Gazette because it doesn't mention how great he is. <coughs> it's all about homeless fucking Stu going on about the way he's clawed his way back from the brink. And Dev looks like he's about to call someone a scumbag again because he's already done that in another storyline. Mm-hmm. Later, homeless Stu reads his article and as predicted by Yasmin, he hates how it bums him up and how it doesn't mention Dev. Saddened and seemingly stressed, Stu nips off for a shite or to get some alone time. Nina's still weird this week. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Not as weird as she was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but still kind of very much a fringe character at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yasmin tracks Homeless Stu down to Nina's roles and apologises for the article. She thinks maybe they should cool the relationship down, but he thinks that's the one thing that General Suki got right, was what the two of them being an item and being together and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
So Addy, the mastermind behind this website, is at Speed Dial, ready for the launch. He calls the whole thing entry level, but it actually sounds pretty great. And in real life, it sounds pretty great. Absolutely. Businesses post details of their surpluses on the site when they become available. Right. So you just check the site and say, oh, uh, the bistro's getting rid of some fish mm-hmm. for cheap. Let's go to the bistro and buy their fish. Yes. If this isn't a thing... It should be a it thing. It definitely should be a thing. Sounds brilliant. Three, two, one... Lift off, says Woo! Homeless Stew, who thinks it's a rocket for some reason. And then a face from the past walks in. This is Homeless Stew's ex-wife, Bridget's mum. And he wants Homeless Stew to stay the fuck away from them both. Yasmin goes over to see what's going on and she's introduced to Lucy. Yasmin thought that Homeless Stew couldn't find Bridget that time he went looking for her, which I thought was a strange thing for Yasmin to say in front of this woman that, he, that she doesn't know. Right. Have this yeah. conversation privately with Homeless Stew. Yes. <clears throat> homeless Stew says a lot of things, says Lucy, and she tells Yasmin, because she also calls him Homeless Stew, and she tells Yasmin that she has no idea what she's messing with. Homeless Stew murdered a poor young girl called Charlie Walter. Dum dum dum, she has two names. That are first names and both traditionally male first names. Anyway. Lucy isn't here to rake up the past, she says, after raking up the past. Right. But wants him to promise to leave well alone. Bridget wants nothing to do with him either. Stay away from us both, homeless Stuart, she says. Stuart agrees and Lucy leaves. Yasmin and Alia are shocked. Shocked, I tell you. I can explain, he says. And he admits to lying about Bridget, but he never murdered that slag, Charlie Walter. You have to believe me. Yasmin asks why should she when his ex-wife and daughter don't, and she demands that he leaves, which she does, without singing. So Yasmin and Alia are very quick to take the word of this complete stranger. Well, Yasmin is very quick to take the word of this complete stranger. Alia seems more hesitant. I mean, she's shocked, but... Shocked, I tell you. We were shocked as well, because... What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is just a huge what. Later, Yasmin is inconsolable. She made Stu leave before he had a chance to explain, and now she wants to speak more with Lucy. What? A woman that she's just met. She says, I didn't give Homeless Stu time to give his explanation. But rather than going and speaking to him, I want to speak to this woman again to get more juicy deets. And so she fucks off, leaving Alia and Navid in the lurch once again to find out more from her. And she tracks down Lucy to the tram station. You can't drop a bombshell How? like, like that <laughs> and not answer some questions. What kind of man is Homeless Stu, she begs. Well, he's homeless, says Lucy. <laughs> And he was a changed man after leaving the Navy, a far more violent man. And he got a job at a restaurant and a waitress went missing, turning up in a woodland covered in homeless shoes DNA. And he confessed to killing her. He said they were having an affair and she had threatened to spill the beans. With all that exposition dropped, Lucy lapses into a coma and drifts away in the wind. Now, I'm trying to think. Stu is like what? In his 60s? Yeah, maybe late 50s early 60s right so he would have been in the navy during relative peacetime and would have been on a boat in relative peacetime what would have happened in the navy for him to have this sudden and complete change of personality because i can't think of anything that he would have gone through that would have caused any sort of like ptsd or anything I think what Lucy was trying to say was he had a hard time adjusting to life on Civvy Street again. And you hear that a lot. That's true. 
from the regimented lifestyle of, of being in the military to that, being... That's true. Right. That's true. My dad was very militant about hospital corners. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she was covered in his DNA. From head to toe. Yeah, that that doesn't seem humanly possible. <laughs> well, I don't think we're meant I to think about this literally. I don't... Like he was a spooch factory. Like, how big are... <laughs> Once again, I am asking, how big are someone's balls on this show? <laughs> well, maybe he just licked her from head to toe after killing her. Or, like, like what, did he... Because that's better. Did he, like, cut cut his nails over her body? Mm-hmm. Left fabric. Did he, like, like, touch every inch of his of her body with, with his DNA, with his skin? Was Left. he, like, rubbing his arms? Some of his luscious hair. Right. Yeah. Maybe he left his guitar there as well. Who knows? Yasmin goes back to Speed Dial and explains what she learned from Lucy. Turns out that she got involved with another fucking rotter. Alia mentions that he's already moved out of the house. Good fucking riddance, says Yasmin. I never want to see him again. And that's how we end that for this week. And he's also already been to prison and been released from prison. So, that's so if- how long do you get for prison for murdering someone in the United Kingdom? Well, if you confess to it, you get... 31 years, apparently, is, is what he said the other week, right? That's what he said to Bridget. It's been 31 years or whatever. So... So he did this in his 30s. Right. Maybe. How long was he in the Navy? What, 10 years, maybe? I don't know. 1929. And then he was working in this bar for how long? Not for very long, I don't think. It didn't sound like it. And then how long was he homeless? Because... We've, we've spoken about how... I think it, he's just recently homeless. Because it seemed like he was quite experienced at being homeless. Mm-hmm. All his teeth are right. And luscious that hair. luscious, luscious hair. Um, yeah, the whole timeline of Stu's life it, it needs some, is weird. It needs some clarification on it. Yes. I, I will agree. And this, whole, and this whole story from beginning to end is weird about how... They found this DNA and they, I mean, DNA is important, but it's not always a smoking gun. No, because I don't think he killed her. No. Well, we know he didn't kill her, right? We know this. We know Stu. Apparently better than Yasmin does. <laughs> you know, this is, this is a guy that could have fully taken advantage of Kelly's situation. That's what I'm thinking as well. And did not. not and said, I would absolutely not do that to you. Yeah, he said to her, you're not my type. Right. Which I think meant... Could go many ways. What, but what I think he meant was, I'm not a pedophile. Right. I yeah. think that's what, that's what he meant with that. Yeah. So we've... we've. So he's covering for someone. Right. And I think he's covering for the ex-wife. See, I was thinking he was covering for the daughter. Well, but remember what he said to the daughter. Because he said to the daughter, I never touched that girl. Right. So why would he say that to his daughter if his daughter was But he says that to his wife her? too. Well, maybe he's covering for somebody else then. I think he's covering for someone. I don't think he killed her. No. And it's his confession. And do you know what? Homeless Stu is the sort of person that would do a long stretch in jail for someone. Yeah. To cover for them. Absolutely. I, I don't doubt that for a minute. And somebody who can live on the streets, I think, has that resolve within them. And again, from the military background, right. he's going back into something again that is very regimented and maybe maybe it is easier for him to handle if he's right. having such a hard time on the outside. Right. Maybe going to prison wasn't as much of a big deal as it would be for, no. I don't know, Craig, for example, right? 
can I tell you? Sometimes I think about it. And I'm like, I think I would love to be in prison. (laughs) Not like the rapey bits and stuff, but being alone in a cell for long periods of time with a library at your at your beck and call, not having to not having any responsibilities, really. I mean, you do get jobs in prison, but still it's it's like when I was young and, you know, dreamed of being a uh, a fire, a fire tower person, like a forest ranger who's alone in a fire tower who just watches for fires and then lives alone on the top of the tower with as many books as they can read and just alone in the forest sort of thing. You're going to live in the lighthouse, aren't you? I loved lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> I it, again that's another one of my my dreams my fantasies is to live in a lighthouse I've always wanted to live in a lighthouse lighthouses are cool and they're almost always haunted I want dead fish <laughs> you He's, can come you can come in the lighthouse with me well thanks just like that maybe I don't want to <laughs> no you don't like lonely places I love lonely places and you hate them like when we were at uh, Roosevelt National Park in the petrified forest there, and it seemed like we were the only people on the planet. I don't like hearing my own heartbeat. You got very spooked. Mm. Yeah. I love the sound of my own heartbeat. It means I'm alive. Yeah. I, I just don't like it. Anyway. Anyway. As fascinating as that wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can... I can. You get your three squares a day and somebody's taking care of you. And right. Apart from the rapey bits, it's probably... The rapey bits are going to be a very, very dark downside to it. Right. But but I kind of feel like if you keep to yourself and keep your head down. Yeah, don't look at anybody. Right. Don't try to befriend anyone. Mm. Just be quiet. I think you'd be fine. <laughs> I'm probably way off on this. I and, would imagine and so. Otherwise, anyone, everyone would be doing it. And a lighthouse would be much better. And I don't think I could ever do anything that would put me in prison. Well, you could do what a homeless shooter and just confess. Yeah. But then that would ke- that would keep a, an actual murderer on the streets. It would, which I think is what he's done. Right. He better hope that person doesn't murder again. But Yasmin, though, you kind of touched on it. Her trust levels for homeless Stew are so low. And you can understand it because of Tim's dad and everything. But Right. But I thought we already went through that where... A number of times. The fire, for example. Right. She is. She's the grown-up summer. The fire Sometimes. at Speed Dial, she was quick to believe that homeless she was behind that. And there was something else fairly recently where she she jumps to the conclusion. Oh, he said something about vacuuming. Remember when he first moved in? That, yeah, he, the, that he runs a tight ship and, you know, and he likes uh, things to be spick and span. I think there's been a few things that he's that the two of them have clashed on and then made, made up about mm-hmm. before they were uh, officially going out with each other. So... Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many times homeless Stu has to be, <coughs> or or has to vindicate himself in her eyes, and it's getting to the point where I I don't think it's worth it. I don't think she's ready to have a relationship. With no, absolutely not. I don't think she is. So this so this is just making the the two of them miserable. But the show doesn't care about that. It doesn't. It's a soap opera. People need to hook up. Oh, I was gonna say it, it is while it's while this bombshell was quite shocking right. to us and pretty much everybody else who watches the show saying, yeah. 
Really? He's a murderer. Murder? And also it doesn't really work in the timeline, but whatever. I do I do like the fact that we're learning more about homeless Stu. We're finally addressing this big right. grey. Right. Because he's time. hinted at this dark past a number of times. We've gotten hints that, you know, there's a reason why he was homeless and why his family doesn't talk to him. Yeah. And why he is ending the week homeless once again. Yes. All right, moving on. Our next storyline, our penultimate storyline, I think. Yep. Is Woo-hoo. there's something about Sinkhole Leo on Wednesday? He's got come in his hair. Sinkhole Leo again. And Jenny are <laughs> smooching in the bar, being lovely, which makes Daisy realize that Daniel isn't trying anymore. Oh, he's trying. Then we trying my patience. That, oh, then we learned that Sinkhole Leo's mate is getting married, and Leo and Jenny have been invited to the Las Vegas ceremony. Jenny is very excited about this, but Leo seems less than keen. Later, Daniel is doing the crossword while Daisy continues to mope about his lack of drive and ambition. Then Leo comes in from work covered in cement. He's short-handed, and so he's had to get his hands dirty himself. Daniel offers to help, and over the laughs from Jenny and Daisy, Leo accepts the offer. And when Daniel comes back from his afternoon of manual labour, he's a broken man and has a few splotches of paint and cement on him, so we know he's been working really hard. Daisy thinks he's proved his point, but Daniel insists he'll be right as rain in the morning, and he's now out to prove to everyone that he's not just a, I don't know, a, not a manual labour person. Because that's important to him now. Didn't Daisy call him a pussy? <laughs> or did I imagine I think, that? I or was that all, in something? We all imagined that. Or was that in something else I was watching yesterday? Yeah. I think it was in something else I was watching yesterday. But she does infer it. No, she implies it. We infer it. Sure. On Friday, early doors and weirdly Daniel is awake in the rovers. Even more weird, he sees Leo try to sneak back all dressed up in a suit. Leo is secretive about his whereabouts. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Later, Jenny's Which is really threatening because he's massive. <laughs> Daniel is toty. It's the middle of the night. The lights are out. So there's like all these shadows playing on Leo's face. It genuinely looks like he wants to kill Daniel. Why is Daniel up? Uh, I think he was still, was he still sore from all the manual labor? What time were you putting this on? What does Daniel say? It's like 1 or 2 a.m. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I got the impression it was far closer to like 4 or 5. I don't think he said. No, I think he said it was I like in the middle of the, the night. I think he said the middle of the night, but. Which would be like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Or midnight. Which would be the middle of the night, quite literally. Hmm. I don't think I'd call midnight the middle of the night. Right, but that's what midnight means. Yeah, but I don't think people call it that. No. When they're co- talking about the middle of the night, I think they're talking more like three or something like that. Well, that's basically morning. Oh, four or five is maybe morning, but I think that's when it was. Anyway. No, because it's, it's still too dark to be four or five. The have, sun would be coming up around five. I have real problems with, with this timeline, oh. as you may have noticed. Yes. Jenny's made breakfast later. Oddly, she mentions how she's never seen Leo in a suit because Daniel says, I don't know how you pack all that away and you still manage to get in your Savile Row suit. And he doesn't say nothing. And Jenny's right. like, oh, yeah. him in a suit. She, yeah, right. she, does, she does that thing. The What is it called? When you say two words that rhyme with two other words? Cockney rhyming slang? Yes. <sighs> it's not my country. It's amazing that I know that. And that wasn't... That wasn't that wasn't the only time that there was Cockney rhyming slang in, in this week's anyway. shows, which was weird. Wasn't it? 
Anyway. Anyway, Jenny says that she's never seen Leo in a tin flute, is what right. she says. Yes. Privately, Daniel grasses Leo up to Daisy about Leo's nocturnal suited secret. Daisy obviously jumps to the obvious conclusions here. Later in the rovers, Jenny is chatting to Daisy about the Vegas trip and how she loves Leo, which apparently is news. Daisy was funny here because she'd walked out of the shot and she just kind of sticks her head back in it again when... She when, said love. When Jenny said love. That was great. Daisy's shocked and not so subtly tries to cool Jenny down, which she takes as jealousy about her and Daniel being miles behind in the love stakes. Sure. So Paul and Daniel are having lunch in the Rovers beer garden because Paul's been hired by Leo as well now. Yes, because he's not getting as much work with Ed because Ed is still out of commission. Because, because he got electrocuted by, by Debbie's radiator. Rape Hotel. When Paul reveals that Leo has handed in his notes at work and today was his last day. Paul then nips off for a shite, which allows Daisy to come out so Daniel can fill her in and then explain. But not like that. And then explain what he's just heard. While she sits on his lap. Yeah. Nothing good will come from this, she says. So Jenny is getting ready for <laughs> a date. Also not, also, uh, right. And also not the Leo thing. Sure. sure. Jenny is getting ready for a date with Leo, so Daisy has to burst her bubble by explaining what she's learned today. Leo is a liar. After the explanation, Jenny thinks that she's getting a dumping in her future, and so she goes to her date to find out. At the bistro, Leo has bought Jenny. A mahoosive bunch of flowers. Way too big. That kind of obscure both their views and the light and right. can be seen from space. Yes. Leo has ordered wine from Canada. Jenny can't hide her disappointment thinking that the massive flowers are to hide his secrets. He was planning to tell her tonight, he says. He has a new job in Canada. Which, hence the Canadian wine that Nick had to dig in the basement for. And she says, well, what about that being seen creeping in, in your suit? In the middle of the night. And he claims it was a late night interview over a video chat. Mm-hmm. And he wants Jenny to come with him to Canada. Oh, Canada. Canada's delightful. It's the most wonderful place on the planet. Yeah. They'll be happy in Canada. He lives there though, right? He lives at the Rovers now. Yes. Because his flatmates or something were moving on. Or right, There was yeah. that whole thing. And also he's sleeping with Jenny. So of course he lives there. So... Why did he sneak out for a video chat? He didn't sneak out. He he was, I think, he was not sneaking out. I think he was sneaking down. I think he was sitting in the rovers in his suit with Why his is he dressed laptop. In a suit? Because it's an interview. You'd still want to dress nice for an interview, even if it's over Zoom, wouldn't you? Well, suit jacket and tie for an engineer's job? This is Leo we're talking about. He's not the brightest bulb in the system here. And also tends to go above and beyond the call of duty. I mean, look at those flowers. If it is two o'clock in the morning or whatever. That that would that would jive. That would mean that he was being interviewed at nine at night. Would it? Yes. Well, it would depend upon which part of Canada. Toronto, five hours, nine o'clock. Does he say Toronto? Yes, he does. That's why I said it. Oh, Toronto's great. Jenny would love it there. Can you imagine? She'd love it. The shopping, the being right there on the lake. Go to the, the library and see Christy P. Yeah. Nine o'clock at night, though, is when he's getting interviewed for this engineer's job. I, I don't know that I'm buying this. Or maybe it was closer to midnight. That would at least be like seven. And I could kind of see that. I could kind of see. I, I, I can kind of see why there may be an interview at seven, especially if it's from someone overseas. I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying it. But Oh, Jenny in Toronto would be great. She's not going to go to Toronto, though. I know, but she'd love it. And it would love her. She'd have a great life in Toronto. Somebody mentioned on the Twitter. I would have a great life that, in uh, Toronto. It's not happening. 
you need to settle yourself down. <laughs> that Jenny goes to Canada and it's Glenda that takes over running the Rovers. I don't want, I don't think I want Glenda in a running the Rovers position just yet because running the Rovers means you're more kind of bit party for a lot of the time in other people's storylines. However, it does mean that you're frequently seen. Unless your husband drowns in the well, in true. the sewers. Right. And that can only happen so many times before people decide to, I don't know, put a grate on that hole. <laughs> and there's something fishy about this. I don't think Jenny's going to go to Canada. And I don't think I've Daniel is going to be, has a future in manual labour. I well, think that's no. what I'm taking out of this story. I have seen a few people on Twitter, you know, at Sally Ann Matthews saying, you better not be going out of the show. And I haven't seen her respond to well, any of can. them. Well, she can. Of course she can. It's, it's not in her interest to do that. No. Our last storyline this morning is Grand Theft Bistro. <laughs> on my... Well done. Thank you. Well done. Not enough <laughs> prostitutes in it, though. Uh, some. <laughs> on Monday. Ryan is running over prostitutes in his car. <laughs> while he has breakfast with Cinco Leo at the Rovers. Ryan's talking about his ambition to get back to Ibiza and his lack of funds that he plans to do something about right now. Right now. Leo leaves, which is handy because Ryan has given Debbie a call. And he goes round to the bistro and they chat through the plan as Debbie loads the safe with bundles and bundles of cash. Bundles. The, the plan is quite sophisticated. Pay attention to this, Helen, because there'll be questions about it later. Okie dokie. Rob the safe after closing time. Make it look like a robbery. Lie low. That's mm. the plan. When mm. they were talking about a plan, I didn't think it was something that they were going to put into action within 24 hours. Right. But seems seems that it is. Yeah. Excited, Ryan nips off for a tux. Later, Ronnie comes into the office to chat with Debbie. He's excited because, according to Ryan, Debbie's on the verge of getting Ed's compo together. What? Why is Why Ryan is doing Ryan this? Why is Ryan blabbing like this? It's ridiculous. Debbie claims to have been rummaging down the back of the sofa and found a few grand kicking about. And this is enough to satisfy Ronnie. After, Debbie goes to see Kev at the garage so she can listen to him say how proud he is of her. Ray Weinstein may have been a crook, but he got what, he's, what he deserved, says Kev. Debbie, on the other hand, is businesswoman of the year. Meanwhile, he hopes that Abby is now out of the business of doing stupid things. For fuck's sake, mutters Debbie, as she has a change of heart now, thanks to Kev. Right, and Kev says something like, I hope she, at this point, she trusts me enough to come to me when she's having problems. Right. And and Debbie is putting herself in Abby's place there yes, mentally. Yes, Ryan. Not physically. Meanwhile, thank God. is ignoring Debbie's advice of this coin not Alabama until after the job by announcing to Jenny that he's selling his DJ gear as he'll be moving to Ibiza soon. Again, Ryan, what are you doing? You don't tell people right. what you're going to do with the money that you're going to rob here pretty soon because mm -hmm. people are going to put two and two together. Yeah, that Ryan was talking about leaving all of a sudden and all of a sudden started selling all these all stuff. All of his stuff. Hmm. Later he goes into the bistro <laughs> with his tux and is outraged when Debbie tells him that the job is off. Ryan protests that he sold his DJ gear so the plan can't be off. Plus his pals and Ibiza are expecting his five grand to buy into this pub that they're opening. Hmm. She tells him that she's saving him from making a mistake. Ryan says that she needs the money as much as he does and it's a victimless crime. Debbie calls it a stupid idea just as Leanne comes in so everyone has to pretend that Ryan just suggested giving away free nuts at the casino night which Leanne actually thinks is a pretty decent idea actually. Right, because nuts make people salty. Thirsty. And yeah, nuts are salty so they make people want to drink more. Thirsty. Yeah, salty. Casino, thirsty. 
Casino Night is up and running. Allier drops in to apologise to Ryan for snapping at him last week, but then gives him a hard time for drinking on the job. Whatever he says, and he moans about not getting back to Ibiza after all. Allier tells him to make it happen if it's that fucking important to him. Meanwhile, James pops in to thank Debbie for getting that compo money organised because James is a thing and is still alive. Yeah, yeah, says Debbie. And she gets a text from Ryan asking to meet her in the kitchen. Ryan, why are you now texting Debbie? Right, yeah. On the way, she bumps into Leanne who announces that she's seen all the cash in the safe and she's going to take it to the bank at closing. Although pig's tits, that's that plan really done now. In the kitchen, a slightly drunk Ryan makes another play for sticking to the original plan, but the ship has sailed now thanks to Leanne. Ryan has another plan, just as brilliant as the first one. Fuse the lights, clear everyone out, and he'll rob the safe. This'll also take care of the CCTV. And we're like, will it? Will it? Debbie, because that's the purge, isn't it? The lights go out and the CCTV all goes out. That's, That's the purge. This isn't the purge. Although, even in the purge, some CCTV stays on or else there would be no purge movie. Hmm. Debbie is still against it, but when she goes back into the body of the bistro, Ryan flips these flipsies? Ryan flips the fuse box anyway. Debbie goes back to the kitchen and when Leanne comes in, they pretend that the fuse box is fine and something more serious must have happened. So Leanne is charged with shepherding everyone out to the rovers while they wait on a sparky. Debbie tells Ryan to make sure that he's seen at the rovers and then to sneak out. Foolproof. Sparky meaning electrician. Jenny shits herself when all of a sudden the pub is packed. Debbie announces that the drinks are on her to compensate for their inconvenience and while everyone cheers, Ryan does his sneaking out. It was really nice to see everyone back in the pub. The pub was busy for the first time in forever. Right, it was full. And that's how they used to do the show, remember? Yeah. The the pub would be packed, you'd be focused on one end of it while one storyline is getting advanced, then the camera would shift to like some of the middle booths right? and and that storyline would be advanced. Then you'd go to the puggy and that storyline would be advanced. They'd be done all in one kind of sweeping shot. I for- they used to do this all the time. I forgot to mention last week that they did that quite a lot. Last week. They did it twice, and I think, didn't, didn't they? It was, it was more than, it was like three or four times. But I really appreciated how, you know, on the street. People passed on one, the street. Yeah. yeah. And we would pass from one storyline to another and it was so seamless and lovely. Yeah. This made me anxious, but that's okay. <laughs> right. I wasn't there. Right. So Ryan heads to the bistro, robs the safe and then makes it look like a robbery by smashing the handle off with a fire extinguisher. But on his way out, Leanne comes back in so Ryan has to hide behind the bar and this all feels very much like the time Michelle got uh, battered trying to rob the place when she owed money back in 2017. Oh, so this is this is a family thing then? This, yeah, this has been done before, yeah. By the same family? Yeah. Leanne is on the phone to Nick who must tell her to check the fuse box because that's what she does and then the lights come back on. By this point, Ryan has crept under the entrance with his bag of money and manages to pretend that he's just come in. He suggests that Leanne goes to get the punters back while he cleans up and she goes and does that and tells Debbie that the fuse box was a problem after all. Debbie does a decent job of acting surprised and announces the casino night is back on and as soon as they arrived, everyone deserts poor Jenny and the pub. Back at the bistro, Debbie and Ryan quietly congratulate themselves on getting the job done. Casino night over, Debbie, Ronnie and Leanne celebrate uh, the success of the night. Leanne goes to take the takings and add them to the safe and then take them to the bank, but then she is shocked to find that they've been robbed. What? Debbie shouts on Ryan to quickly call the police while Ronnie investigates. Ryan gets on the phone and he and Debbie share a not-so-subtle wink that I was worried was going to get picked up by the CCTV because it was basically a kind of wink. It wasn't a... 
Wink. It was a honk. Wink. Do people tend to honk when they wink? Particularly geese. (laughs) On Wednesday, it's PC Tinker conducting the initial inquiries at the bistro. Due to the lack of signs of breaking, it looks like it's been an inside job. Ronnie listens to the theories quietly as he observes the goings-on. Debbie has a crime number and is on to the insurance pronto, and she already seems cagey as fuck even before she dingies a call from Ryan because Ryan is now calling Debbie. And from the Rovers, Ryan inexplicably is handling the bags of cash in his sports bag, leaving a thinly coded message for Debbie, letting her know that he wants this money picked up and gone. Right, he says that the weights are too heavy for him. That she lent him. Right. Right. Because no one listening to that would think that something suspicious is going on here, right? Right. That Debbie has weights. Just as he finishes, PC Tinker wanders in and Ryan quickly has to hide the bag. And it's just as, as suspicious as you imagine it would be. Right. But it's PC Tinker, so it's okay. Yeah. Ryan claims he has no knowledge of what went on. He saw nothing. He's clueless. Well... You got that right. PC Tinker reveals that he thinks it has to be someone from the casino night and he's not ruling out the fact that it's someone that they know. Later, Ryan hands over the cash to Debbie and the gunnel. He's bricking himself as Debbie repeats that she thought it was a bad idea to do this in the first place until Ryan forced her hand by cutting the power. What's done is done though. She still has his back and she's in it as much as he is. She tells him to sit tight, act normal. At the pub, Ryan has has a... has a wee chat with Alia about Yasmin's Gazette story from another storyline and asked him to come along later to be part of the interview. Yasmin and her want him to be there, so he agrees to that. And it was nice for him to get a little bit of normal stuff going on, right? Yes. Meanwhile, Debbie runs into Ed and they talk about the break-in. Debbie reveals how there's no CCTV of the incident since the power went out and Ed is confused because he fitted the CCTV and he knows that it's on a different system. Ronnie perks up and calls the police to let them know while Debbie quietly shits her brakes. So PC Tinker and the Scooby-Doo gang are all back at the bistro office, hunching over each other's lap, uh, <coughs> hunching over each other as they watch the CCTV, and they see the robber keying in the code into the safe, and then they see that it's Ryan, just as Ryan walks in for his afternoon shift. Yes, it was very clear. Yep. Incredibly clear. Because thankfully he looked up straight at the camera. <laughs> PC Tinker arrests him for Grand Theft Bistro. How could you? asks the Scooby-Doo gang, and Ryan says he was only trying to help. Debbie shakes her head to get him to shut up as he's led away. Ronnie is confused how Ryan had the code for the safe and Debbie thinks it was just an oversight. But Ronnie doesn't let it go and over the course of a couple of scenes he pieces it all together with Debbie saying she was contemplating an insurance job the other day to pay for Ed's compensation. She says she was only joking but Ronnie doesn't believe her and storms out. Debbie chases after him and out on the street she admits it. She explains it was Ryan's idea and she was forced to go along with it and she begs him not to go to the police. And after eight seconds of contemplation, he agrees to keep quiet and then walks away. But he doesn't look happy. No. At the station, Ryan which is, is he- hilarious because this is Ronnie we're talking about. Ronnie, who we know, it's totally up his street, right? Right. <laughs> See, I was kind of hoping that the two of them would have been hatching a plan, right? Because Ronnie's not adverse to bending the rules. I don't no. think he has that kind of shady character about him that he's wheeling and a dealing and. Yeah, right, so long yeah. as you don't get caught, it's probably all right. Right, right. yeah. When he was first introduced, he was a wheeling and a dealing. Right. With that former wife of his that we saw, like, two times. Right. At the station, Ryan has been questioned by the police, but he no comments the lot. Judging by the questions, he's banged to rights, except no one knows where the money is. Other rovers, Jenny has found out and tells everyone she knew that he needed money, but he was one of the good guys, wasn't he? She's so let down. Then Alia comes in and she can't believe it when she hears that Ryan has been arrested. Ryan? 
Later, Ryan uses his phone call to stand in the middle of the police station on the police's phone and shout at Debbie for fucking up about the CCTV and how she should have owned up to her part in it and how if they hand back the money now, he'll get treated better. Debbie tells him to hold his horses. If she goes down, no one gets paid. They're in this together and he shouldn't panic and keep up the no comment line. So she gets back on the phone to the insurance company when Ronnie comes in to tell her that she's dumped and Ed will not be wanting dirty money for his compo. And then I didn't really understand this. Debbie rushes round to Ed's with a cheque for 15 grand and Aggie immediately bats it back so Debbie seems to write a cheque for 30 grand now. Yes. And then she rushes out when Ronnie comes in. Ronnie telling Ed and Aggie that the two of them have broken up as she's too high maintenance. But, so how much money was in the safe? I, I don't I don't understand this. I don't understand why Debbie suddenly has the money now to pay Ed. Where does that come from? From the safe. There was, that was 30 grand? It had to have been more than 30 grand because Ryan's supposed to get five grand of that, let's well, remember. She's written a cheque. Which means she's deposited that money, which would be which, which, very suspicious. Which definitely did not happen. I don't know. I think I think she wrote the cheque for 15 grand because she has 15 grand in the bank. Oh, she wrote the cheque for 15 grand because she's trying to lowball him and end up with more money, I guess. But I don't know I don't no. know if she, she gets this money in her account to write this cheque all of a sudden because she's just got off the phone with insurance. There's no way that they've paid out just yet. So, so what gives? I think she wants to get them paid before Ronnie has a chance to tell them the truth. Definitely. But none of that answers my question. Again, I think she had, you know, she's rushing. She doesn't have 30 grand in the bank. She probably does have 15 grand. So she tries that first. And when that doesn't work, you know, and Ed is being very sweet and sympathetic and saying, well, you know, you did just get robbed. And Aggie's like, no way. We want the full amount. It's such a badly thought out plan that this, this isn't going to save the hotels that apparently are all up to their neck in debt, that they're all based on loans against each other. There, was, there wasn't hundreds of thousands of pounds in that safe. No. So I, I'm not sure how this solves anybody's problem. Well, it was, you know, the robbery was more to pay off Ed than anything else, wasn't it? Just to get Aggie off her back. Because she wasn't going to solve all of her problems with what's in the safe. Right. That was never going to happen. But presumably she has now written a cheque for more than 15 grand and Ed is now paid off. Yes. From money that she didn't have, but now does have in her well, bank account. A lot of this, and I mentioned this to you last night, a lot of this storyline just has me really disappointed because when we were introduced to Debbie, and as we've known Debbie, the majority of the time we've known Debbie, she has seemed very savvy and very smart, mm-hmm. even when she's doing bad things like working with Ray Weinstein. She's been savvy. She has been smart. She's been able to talk to people in business. She's been able to wheel and deal. She has been strong. And now all of a sudden, her world is falling apart. She doesn't seem to know how to run a business anymore. And yes, COVID and Ray Weinstein were a problem for her. But COVID was a problem for all of the businesses on the street. And yet it's only one of the female-run businesses that seems to be falling apart. And it's the one run by one of the most confident women on the street. And so I kind of hate it. I hate this like personality change that they've given her where all of a sudden she's weak and flustered and 
going a little bit nuts and making dumb choices and also being in this much debt. Well, I can understand her being in that debt. I didn't think she was coming across as all that flustered. I think she would, I felt like she was taking control of it. Well, it felt like that scene with Ed with the check. She seemed very flustered. That was rushed. And like you said, I think it was rushed because of Ronnie that she was trying to get that dealt with quickly. But but my my problem with that, I, I don't I don't understand the mechanics of that that deal or or that scene. But I think otherwise from that I think she's been fucked over by Ryan as well. That she wasn't bargaining for. Because she she seemed to have regained that composure when she spoke with Kev. And that's happened a couple of times when she's spoken to Kev that Kev has been the kind of the, this beacon of high morals and, right. and doing the right thing. Right. And she was going to find a way. Right. And that that was that was a yeah. Debbie way of dealing with it, was just finding a way. She's right. going to find she a way. She just has this loose cannon called Ryan that she made the mistake of offering this deal in the first place. Right. Seemingly off the cuff and not very smartly. Which again feels out of character yeah, for a bit, her to a bit just rushed for her. I would I would agree with you on that. But mm-hmm. I, but I still think that she's uh She's a strong-minded character, and when she says, and when Kev calls her businesswoman of the year, I think in terms of the street, you know, there's maybe not a huge amount of competition, but I think she's—he's probably onto something. Ah, uh, besides Jenny and Carla, is Jenny a businesswoman? She owns the Rovers. She, she's she a, has she, a business. She, she owns. She owns. It. I don't know that it's massively successful, is it? Well, it's successful enough to still be open, and everybody goes there, yeah. and she's able to pay her employees. And seems to have well, and doesn't, be a minimum though, isn't it? And doesn't need a partner to do so. Because mm. let's remember, Carla and Debbie both needed partners to keep their business running. I mean, I'm not quite sure about what exactly is the hierarchy at the factory anymore because it's been confusing and a mess. And we're not even gonna touch that right now. Right. But, you know, I suppose there's a Audrey. She does still technically own the barbershop but she doesn't run it and she's not in charge of the money or anything i think maybe it's because debbie presents herself more as being the archetypal businesswoman businesswoman yeah with the with the the bag and the crooked arm and the clip 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 right. walking and stuff she kind of she walks the walk right and she talks the talk yes yeah so i hate seeing her like this it really kind of bums me out but you know even even with ryan being a loose cannon and everything she could have very easily gone back to that fuse box, clicked it, and said, "Up, oh, sorry, folks. Yeah, it just it just tripped, and would have been fine." But she just kind of caves to Ryan about this whole thing when she's already told him, "No, we're not doing this anymore." Yeah, so part what, of her, part of her still wanted to do it. What 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 was he going to do to her? Oh, nothing. It's fine. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And yet she acts like, "Oh no." He's pushing back, so I must do it now. Later, Ryan is out on bail and he goes to Debbie. She promises him that she has a plan, that he'll get his money, and she'll sort him out with a manager job when she, when he gets out of jail. And Ryan tells her that she owes him big time. So I think the two of them are kind of realising that this is not going to end with anything other than Ryan going to jail for a number of years here. He heads down the street. Dev calls him a scumbag. Jenny has him black-bagged from the Rovers. And Alia can't believe he wouldn't have come to her if he needed money. Ryan says that they're not close anymore, they haven't been in ages, and it's complicated. Upset, she rushes off, and he shouts that she's the only person that he cares about, and then he's left on his own standing in the middle of the street. 
And on Friday, on the street, Nick demands Ryan gives him his money back. He shrugs, suspecting that his apology isn't going to help anything, and he doesn't have the money. It's all been a massive mistake. Debbie says that she believes him, but Nick wants his money back tomorrow, or he's going to the police to get Ryan charged with robbery again or something. Yeah, I didn't understand any of that. And what, what Nick was... He's like, I'm going to get them to throw the book at you. And it's uh, like... Again. you you Do you understand? Your brother's been to jail. Don't you understand how this works? You've been to jail. Don't you understand how this works? Speak to Audrey about stealing from a business, why don't you? Right, yeah. It's, it's, get off that high horse of yours, Nicholas. Oh, Nick, Nick and his high horse again? <laughs> Wasn't that a thing a couple of years ago? I think it, it might have been. It's always a thing. Ryan meets He's Debbie very tall. in the alleyway of doom, and we learn that the money was used to pay off Ed, and Debbie has an idea to get Ryan out of this and tells him to follow her lead. At the bistro, Debbie suspects suspects to Nick and Leanne that maybe Ryan was coerced into robbing the bistro somehow just planting seeds here. Nick doesn't care so long as he gets his money back. And later in the gunnel, Ryan meets Debbie fresh from the police station but apparently he's told them that heavies who were wearing Ray Weinstein jumpers threatened to kill him if he, if he didn't get them some money from the bistro. And it seems even the Weatherfield cops weren't buying it but Debbie thinks mentioning Ray's name will at least throw some doubt in there and he'll be dealt with with some more leniency. She tells him to act his little socks off when he next speaks to Nick. And, and it doesn't seem like anyone this week's is in their back gardens to overhear this conversation. Well, normally I'd expect... Somebody to come out with their trash. Fizz would be out there uh, stopping Hope setting fires and Gemma would be out there because three of the quads have escaped. But that hasn't happened. No. So that's how we end this week's episode. It feels like we've kind of talked about quite a chunk of that in the middle of it. But I don't see how Ryan gets out of not going to jail. Because whether he was coerced into it or not, he did it. And I don't think being coerced into it is enough of an excuse to not do something. Because at the end of the day, you did, you were involved in this. Right. Rather than going to the police, you you executed this robbery. So, I don't see how he gets out of it. And I can see Debbie getting pulled into this because Unless Ryan is Ryan is the opposite of Homeless Stew in so many ways, although they both have nice hair. Ryan will fold like a cheap suit if enough pressure is put on him. And I think if they start saying, well, we know that you didn't do this on your own because where is the money? Right. I think Debbie's name's getting dropped into this. Well, he's 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 already blamed the Ray Weinstein heavies. Yeah, but the police don't buy it. Unless he does a runner like his brother. Yeah, where is Al- Ali? Where is Ali? Where is Ali? He's in Hollywood Dr. making movies Ali. with The Rock. Is he really? Well, he did that one movie with The Rock. Oh. And like we said the other day, he's not really dating anyone on the street, although we really wanted him to, and Ali had to get back together because they were adorable together. He has no family on the street. He's kind of just blowing in the wind here. Yeah, I worry for his place. Although I can see him and Ali are getting back together again still. I I can too. In fact, I'm kind of surprised it hasn't happened already because there was a point where we thought that it had happened Mm. and then it hadn't. And we're like, wait a second. They had this conversation where they both said they still loved one another a little bit. And it seemed like maybe we were moving in that direction. And then we didn't hear from them in a while. And when we don't hear from people in a while, we kind of just assume that something has happened. I I mean, look at... We assume that Nina and Asha are still together because when Nina leaves with those flyers, she says, Asha and I will put these up. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't need to see that. 
Because happy that's relationships. Very, very dull. Happy relationships are dull. Uh, Except for Yeah, the I like I like robbery scenes. I like I like those sort of storylines. I like it when they're executed well a little bit more. This was plan. not executed well. This was not an Ocean's Eleven here, no. or an Ocean's, or Debbie's One. This this wasn't that. Even if even if they thought the CCTV was taken out, you'd still want to put something over your face just in case somebody walked in, wouldn't yeah, you? And put gloves on. And, well, and yeah, I was going like, to mention and make it look like someone had actually broken in. Right. Well, because even Tinker notices that there's no signs of breaking in. Well, did they lock the door at the bistro? Because they needed to let the electrician in. There's and, not even a smashed window. And Leanne doesn't act like... Leanne doesn't unlock the door when she comes back in. So it doesn't seem like they locked the doors. But yeah, it... And yes, this is this is Ryan we're talking about. He's no George Clooney when it comes to being a mastermind. No, he's not even a Don Cheadle. Well, nobody is John... Don Cheadle. John, Don Cheadle is awesome. And I will never hear a word against him. But um, I'm trying to think. Has Ryan ever been in trouble with the police? Yeah, they thought uh, he killed that Cormac guy. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah. And everybody kind of laughed at that too. Like, Ryan? Yeah, Ryan would do you that. You really think that he did this intentionally? That guy died because Ryan is inept. Mm-hmm. That was the week that was Coronation Street then. What yeah. was your moment of week like, you, I need to ask? Do you have to ask? No, I don't. But which part of Glenda was it? All of it. For me, it's when she's like, okay, boys, let's get this job on the road. And yeah. And she's, you know, she's just in charge. And, and takes over yeah. and, and, and talks Mrs. Pugh out of melting the trombone into Mr. Pugh's skin. <laughs> right. Yeah. A nice and easy one. Yeah. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Bonus moment of the week. Daniel explaining that Tolstoy used to dig ditches. That's our boy moment of the week. Well done, Daniel. It's been a while. It's been a while. All right, then. Let's wrap this one up. If you've ever done, dug ditches with Tolstoy... Wash your hands and then get in touch with us. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com. And we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank and you. we will be back next week with more. The talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.